Hello, you're listening to the On The Path podcast with Charlie Kyle and Johnny G. Today, we're discussing Charlie's new book, Playing for Peace, Reclaiming Our Human Nature. The book has chapters written by various authors, centering around the themes of the importance of play, social music making, and the full expression of our humanity through rhythm and dance. Why are musical skills so important to teach children at an early age? What about collective music activity is so inherent to our species? We'll mainly today be discussing the David Graeber chapter entitled, What's the Point if We Can't Have Fun? Charlie, start us off by telling us a little bit about William Henry Hudson. Hudson was a naturalist back in the 19th and early 20th century who preceded Graeber and had some of the same ideas about a common glad impulse. And then Graeber comes along and nails it with, it's got to be fun, and the whole universe is about spiraling galaxies and the spiral dance. So there's a pair, Hudson and Graeber, Kyle and Benzen, and then the two women are my wife Angie doing a very brief 20 points, 20 enumerated issues for basic green thinking, global green basics, she called it, back in 1990. And I said, well, that's a wonderful tribute to Angie because that's her summing up her thoughts about a green future. And then Linda Cree takes on the really thorny, difficult question of population and how are we going to control our population so that we don't go any further over the carrying capacity of this planet for human beings. And she's very clear and explicit about the, the, the un, how, how can we put it, unstoppable, so it seems, population growth and how that has to come to a stop if we're going to persist on this planet for as long as the sun shall shine, which could be millions of years. So there's Angie Kyle and Linda Cree is a key pair of articles. Hudson and David Graeber, another, maybe the heart and soul of this effort to change the name of us from Homo sapiens to Homo Ludens Calabrans. And then Bill Benson and Charlie Kyle are just kind of pulling this together, thinking about it in terms of music and the category that it fits into at Amazon called Musical Philosophy and Social Aspects. This book was written when I didn't know there was such a category, but it's just perfect. It is really a book about musical philosophy becoming more expansive to include our species being. Humo Ludens Collaborans. So I'll say that a few more times in Latin before this podcast is finished so that you'll have that concept in mind and hopefully use it in your everyday speech. Humo Ludens Collaborans. Humorous, playful collaborators. And I really had been talking about that for, I don't know, 20 or so years. I was used to talk about Homo Laborious the patriarchal cuss, and then I was talking about um, Homo Hierarchicus. There's a Louis Dumont books by that title that I have yet to really read carefully, but I suppose I have to if I want to 
insist that's not who we are. And I've been thinking about these issues for 30, 40 years, but reading Graeber's article just nailed it for me. I said, wow, he's got the play principle going from the amoeba or the slime mold or the lowest forms of life if you look at them in a hierarchy of one cell, multi-celled, on up to us, which is the usual way of looking at it. But I think part of the change paradigm here is that we have to think the way Graeber is thinking about play being omni-universal. The galaxies are spiraling in a playful way. There's nine different kinds of spirals and other elliptical forms. And play seems to be a principle at work in the largest entities we know anything about. And down to the molecular. Down to the molecular. The amoeba is dancing. Even the one-celled amoeba has got podia feet in Greek. And those feet are moving around and exploring. And you can think of that amoeba as a, a dancing entity, a paramecium. What's the paramecium groove? Yeah, he mentioned single-celled organisms. Yeah, the the flagella funk, perhaps. <laughs> he he mentions the single-celled to the multicellular. He even asks, "Do the electrons dance?" Right. And I've made fun of the particle theory in some of my poems, and I, I've hit a hit a sensitive bell that rings, ping, when I had a line something about let's not agitate the Higgs boson, let's meditate it. And Peter Pierce thought that was really important. <laughs> Somebody else did, and I said, wow, I just threw that one off. And it caught the attention of two different readers. Whatever else they thought about that book of poetry, they said, hey, you're right about the Higgs boson. <laughs> let's not agitate it any further. Yeah, And it's funny to talk about it, but it's also, who knows what, what that cyclotron might spin out if somebody pushed the wrong button at the wrong time and agitated something that we don't even know is out there in the way of wave or particle. So I, I think of Graeber as really pulling things together, as, which he does so marvelously in big, huge books like Debt, The First 5,000 Years, and um, his recent collaboration just before he died with David Wengrow, on the, um, what's the title? The Dawn of Everything. And I've only gotten about 80 pages into that, and it's going to be a, a lifetime bedside companion, I think, because they push a lot of different buttons, not knowing quite where they're going, I don't think, but they're exploring every issue you can possibly think about of who we've been and what we're becoming. So that's the theme of the, all three of these peace volumes, The Local Path to Peace. And today we're just going to talk about Graeber. Let's stay focused on Graeber and what's, what's the point if we can't have fun. So this is one of the second, second or third article in Charlie Kyle's recent book, Playing for Peace, Reclaiming Our Human Nature. Charles Kyle and William L. Benzin. It's the third volume in the Local Paths to Peace series. Right. And we're going to be discussing Graeber's article, which you can find on page 25, 
What's the point if we can't have fun? And to summarize from a layman, I see what he's saying to kind of circle around the idea that play is everywhere in the animal species, even down to what we might consider simple beings like ants, mm-hmm. birds, livestock, inchworms. They all seem to engage in activities that don't have a clear benefit. And he talks about how a lot of evolutionary theorists look look at evolution in such a capitalist sense of economic transactions. Every behavior must have a a purpose right. or a benefit of to your evolutionary fitness. But he's not so sure. We we see play all across the board. Right. And you're tying this into the mission of Born to Groove, which is to get kids playing, to get humans playing together. Mm-hmm. And he has a great a great quote about that togetherness, that such pleasures as music and grooving are proportionately magnified when performed in company. Mm, where does that come from? That's halfway through his article on the top of page 31. To exercise one's capacities to their fullest extent is to take pleasure in one's own existence. And with sociable creatures, such pleasures are proportionally magnified when performed in company. Right. It's well simply put. what life is. That's David Graeber at his best. He's a wonderful writer, very prolific, and um, I got to be a big fan of his from this particular article. But these huge books, the debt book, which was uh, a lot of a lot of people have read that and thought about it, and um, and now this one with David Wengro about the dawn of everything. This little article summarizes his way of thinking just perfectly about from top to bottom, holistically, from the smallest organisms out to the spiraling galaxies, or from Chinese philosophy and two philosophers looking down at little minnows swimming in the water. Mm, I Are like they that playing? story. Yeah, it's a great... I, I still don't quite understand the puzzle that he put before his students Exactly. I'm not so sure I agreed with Graeber's in- interpretation. Yeah. He did find some cool meaning in there. Um, why don't I read that story quick? It's sure. the story of Zhuangzi and Huizi were strolling on a bridge over the river Hao when the former observed, See how the minnows dart between the rocks? Such is the happiness of fishes. You not being a fish, said Huizi, how can you possibly know what makes fish happy? And you not being I, said Zhuangzi, how can you know that I don't know what makes fish happy? If I, not being you, cannot know what you know, replied Wheezy, does it not follow from that very fact that you, not being a fish, cannot know what makes fish happy? Let us go back, said Zwingzi, to our original question. You asked me how I knew what makes fish happy. The very fact you asked shows that you knew I knew, (laughs) as I did know from my own feelings on this bridge. So he interprets that to mean... He says, after years of thinking, it struck him. They liked to spend hours arguing like this. It was a form of play. Surely that was what Zhuangzi was really getting at. We can each understand what the other is feeling because arguing about the fish, we are doing exactly what the fish are doing, having fun, doing something we do well for the sheer pleasure of doing it, engaging in a form of play. The fact that you felt compelled to try to beat me in an argument and were so happy to be able to do so 
shows that the premise you were arguing must be false. So it's an interesting leap. I think it does teach us something there. Yeah. But if we listen to the last quote from Zhuang Zi, he says, let us go back to your original question. You asked me how I knew that make, what makes fish happy. The very fact you asked shows that you knew I knew, as I did know from my own feelings on this bridge. The very fact you asked shows that you knew. How do you interpret that? I wasn't so sure about Graeber's interpretation. This is one of these things that goes, it's like Amiri Baraka talking about minstrelsy. Have you ever, do you know that spiel? No. Well, is minstrelsy about white people imitating, getting into blackface to imitate black people who are kind of dressing, overdressing, fancy, getting fancied up because they're imitating white people and they want to do a mockery of white people. And when black people get into blackface to do minstrelsy, they're imitating white people, imitating black people, imitating white people. It's removed. And if, if you ask a question about that, pretty soon you're over there with the Chinese philosophers and the minnows. Who's grooving on whom? Who's ripping off whom? How do you account for minstrelsy being the great entertainment form for the whole of the 19th century and up into the 1920s? They were still doing minstrelsy routines you could say that um, uh, kingfish and um, what was that what was that um, radio show Amos and Andy when I was a kid Amos and Andy was still on of white people talking in black dialect Eminem doing rap trying to sound as black as he can or maybe just not quite as black as he can but some trying to put himself into that hip hop world, so the, the, the all those comedies on TV of with Red Fox, the garbage guy and his sidekick, you know the 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 whole of of TV black presence has a minstrelsy aspect to it. It's kind of doing what the white mass media want done. And then there's going to be spinoffs from that. And again, you go around in this circle, this spiral dance of who's imitating who, who's mm -hmm. commenting on whom, and how, how, many, how many times around the circle do you go before you fly up your own butthole? <laughs> <laughs> Very meta. Frame within a frame within a frame. Within a frame. And very dialectical, right? It completely depends upon there being two cultures, two ways of looking at this. And, of course, we can't consult the fishes. Hey, you fishes happy? These Chinese philosophers crazy? Or are you chasing each other's tails? What's going on down there in the river below the bridge? But we're very different beings from fish. There's a whole book called so it's Your weird. Inner Fish, Johnny. Do you know that book? It's, it's a little weird <laughs> to say I don't. To say, oh, well, we like to play, so obviously the fish like to play too. We're a very different nervous system yep. of much greater complexity. But again, he argues that even electrons show agency and decision. And Feynman tells, tells us, I don't know which way they're going to jump, mm -hmm. those electrons. That there's a big element of chance, an element of unknowing, of um, uncertainty, not the, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, this uncertainty about what's real, what's not, 
everything we've come to know from um, Einstein and Freud and Marx, everything is at the point of observation. If you're looking at something in a context, it's in that moment, in that time, in that place, in that framework, it has meaning. You pull it out of there, start negotiating all over again. What's meaningful? Does this tickle anybody's feelings? Does anybody feel in harmony with the Chinese philosophers watching the fishes minnow in and out of the, the brook? Um, I love that little story and Graeber's placement of it at the very end of his article mm-hmm. because it keeps the spiral spinning. It keeps... Did you have? He asked at the very end, "Did you have fun reading this article?" Yeah, I love that, <laughs> and I sure as hell did. Same I, here. I hope everybody in the world reads that article because it changes the game. And I'm hoping that Humo Luden's collaborators is so completely different, so utterly opposed to Humo. It's not Humo. Homo. Same. Sapiens, and then they added on. Some people added on sapiensis, Homo sapiens sapiensis. <laughs> the same knowing knowers. We're mm-hmm. all the same knowing knowers. And as I point out in the back there, I have to use a little bit of profanity. We don't know. Fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. We don't know what's going on in our own tummies and in our own intestines. We have hundreds of different flora and fauna down there taking care of us, keeping us alive, digesting our food for us. Who knows how that works? They're just beginning to think about how can we possibly know what these bacteria know about each other Mm -hmm. in order to do this work of keeping us healthy, happy, sane. It's really quite, quite amazing to me that this same conundrum of what's going on in our own intestines, our guts, what's going on in the forest floor. We're just beginning to get a picture of the fungi and all these different roots and communication with each other. I hear about that now from everybody. Hey, do you know about the forest floor and what's going on with the roots? And of course, I learned about that a year ago, or there's a book about fig trees. How does the fig intersect with bats, with insects, with little wasps that coexist with the interiors of figs. There's a fig information that's just just beginning to blossom in a whole world there inside a fig. Every fig has needs a wasp to go in it. It's, it's different crazy. kinds of wasps. I didn't know that till recently. Yeah. Yeah, we we t- humans tend to think they're on the apex of knowledge and I suppose they are, but that doesn't mean they're done discovering There's 90,000 spider species, estimated roughly, Mm. might be 100,000. And we know something about 30,000 of them. So most of the spider world is unknown. That's That's a huge ignorance about an amazing species that does things that you think only humans can do with design elements and repairing networks and and where's the brain in that spider it's in its eight legs its eyes are in its legs what the hell i didn't know that until a couple of years ago i mean things that um, are common knowledge to certain specialists don't circulate they don't 
spin out and, and amaze us and inform us as fast as these guys are discovering stuff, it should be, you know, proclaimed with fanfares. Spiders have eyes in their legs. You know what I mean? Get that out there. Make this world aware of how amazing and wondrous and miraculous everything, everything about it is. Every leaf on every plant has a story to tell about its way of doing photosynthesis or its vein system. Which is more newsworthy than a lot of things that take up airtime. Exactly. We are busy amusing ourselves with trivia and even having, you know, trivia contests and and nobody says, hey, wait a minute, we got some serious problems out here. Do you think we could put the trivia aside for just a little bit and think about whether we have a future? <clears throat> I wanted to ask you one thing about Graber's piece. He seems to be on the defensive for much of it, which is fair, you know, in an academic environment, you know, suggesting that uh, electrons have agency or free will. Right. But he, you know, he argues, is that any crazier than saying that DNA... Um, you know, however metaphorically uh, have have control, are selfish, that sort of thing. Um, I just felt like he could have maybe gotten out of the defensive mode a little bit. Yeah. And because he constantly says, you know, play doesn't need to have benefits. It doesn't need to necessarily be an economic transaction of, of evolutionary fitness. But isn't joy in itself... Doesn't happiness in itself have benefits? Oh, sure. Huge benefits for our health. Happy people are healthier people. So why spend time arguing that play, it doesn't need to have benefits to be a human activity or an animal activity. Why not just say, hey, look, it makes us feel good in a group. It coagulates the group. It keeps us strong. You and I get to say that. Mm -hmm. David Graeber didn't get tenure at Yale. Mm. They wouldn't allow him to come up for tenure. The politics of his anthropology department and of the larger university and of this constant worry about their big, huge fund that they have of billions of dollars from alumni, that thing is running Yale. Mm. And they don't want people calling up and saying, my son just heard from your Professor Graber that the whole world's a joke. And Talk about context. (laughs) That really frames this. Yeah. So he's kind of has to be rigorous and scientific he's he's taking every precaution that he has to in his own mind to be taken seriously about fun Mm -hmm. paradox how do we take it seriously whoops are we humo ludens collaborants or are we taking ourselves a little too seriously just seems like even darwin would agree that dopamine and oxytocin flowing in the brain the joy neurochemicals stress relief wouldn't that have lots of benefits as far as how you go about right. your day? And Yep. No, it's a, it's a wonderful article because you can go back, read it. I'm hoping that people will get this book, read it, reread it, order two or three more copies, gift them to friends, because it's um, an invitation to put Hudson and Graber together, to put Angie Kyle and Linda Cree together to put Bill and Charlie together. You know, Bill doesn't agree with a lot of the stuff that I put in here. You said, he's the one who suggested, instead of a serpent spine of wisdom, Charlie, I think you've got more of a compost pile. (laughs) And I said, well... That's a compliment. I'll take it as a compost pile, right? Feel free to put that on the Amazon review, folks. Please go give this book five stars. 
We'll end with a quote about the book, Playing for Peace, Reclaiming Our Human Nature, by Dr. Charles Kyle and William L. Benson. It's a quote from Steve Feld. He says, Who says a peace manifesto can't be deep fun? The wisdom of collaborative practice rings bells on each page here, inviting us to dance in the streets of a world still within reach. Get with the beat of this drum. Again, that's Playing for Peace by Charles Kyle and William Benson. Available now. Thanks for listening. Thank you for podcasting me, Johnny. I really appreciate it.